السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد So inshallah we're going to um, inshallah, inshallah today we're going to conclude the isti'adha and then we're going to move on to the basmala Last week we spoke um, primarily about the fiqh issues relating to the isti'adha uh, and we said, for example, the isti'adha, the scholars differed over whether the isti'adha is made before recitation or after recitation. Uh, we spoke about, for example, whether the isti'adha is an obligation, you have to make it before you recite the Qur'an, or whether it is recommended. And then whether it's something that you have to do in the salah or outside of the salah, whether it's something that should be done out loud or it should be read silently. And the point that we concluded upon last week or where we finished and left off was we were speaking about the, the places in uh, which the isti'adha is recommended to be said. So the places other than before the recitation of the Qur'an where else it is recommended that you make the isti'adha, you say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. And I think we covered like two or three, right? We said the Qur'an before recitation of the Qur'an. Does anyone remember what else we covered? Okay, if shaitan comes and he whispers to us, was it a third one? Bad thoughts. Bad thoughts. Okay. So if shaitan comes and he tries to plant the seed of doubt in our minds in terms of our uh, belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our iman, and so on and so forth. Right. So these are the three that we took. And we have a few left, inshallah, that we'll quickly go through. And that's the end of the isti'adha. And then we'll move on to the basman. So number four is in the prayer. So when shaitan comes to one of us in our salah and he confuses us, right, that's the time when it is also the sunnah to ask Allah Azza wa Jalla to seek refuge in Allah from shaitan. In the hadith of Uthman ibn Abil As, radiyallahu anh, that is collected in Sahih Muslim, he said that I came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I said, Ya Rasulallah, inna shaitan qad hala bayni wa bayna salati wa qiraati yalbisuha alayhi. O Messenger of Allah, shaitan comes to me in my prayer. He comes between me and my prayer, is the wording of the hadith, and between me and my recitation of the Qur'an, and he confuses me. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, That is a devil or shaitan by the name of khinzab. Right. So as we said before when we were speaking about the word shaitan, shaitan isn't just one, it is a term that is collectively used to refer to all of the armies of Iblis, right, and all of his helpers and all of his associates. And so therefore there are many, and some of them have particular jobs and assigned different roles. And from amongst those roles is this one. That's a particular shaitan, he said, وسلم, by the name of Khinzab. So if you feel him, if you you know, like feel that he's come to you in your salah, he's disturbing you in your salah, he's confusing you in your salah, he's uh, taking away your attention from your salah, فَتَعَوَّذْ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ Then seek refuge in Allah from him. Right? Some of the scholars said what that means is that you say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Others said that you say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ خِنْزَبْ Right, you mention his name. Because the Prophet said, seek refuge in Allah from him, right? So specifically from him. And so you say, أعوذ بالله من خنزر وَاتْفُلْ عَلَى يَسَارِكَ ثَلَاثًا And then spit lightly to your left three times, and then right to the companion said, I did this and Allah removed him from me. 
Right? So in your salah, if you're praying and shaitan comes to you, you say, A'udhu billahi min khinzab, and you look towards your left and you spit lightly. Right? Spit lightly, meaning that you blow out air and it should be a very, very light spit. Right? Not like, unfortunately, some of our brothers, mashallah, who get very eager in their salah when shaitan comes to them, especially when you're in jama'ah and you have people standing to your right and your left and they turn and they spit. And, you know, it's like it's something which shaitan may have left them, but he's definitely come to you. Right? So there is a etiquette in the way that we do this. So some of the scholars said if you're in jama'ah, if you're in a congregation and there's people next to you on your left, then either you don't face left completely, but you just look slightly towards the left. Right? You just move your head slightly, so you're not facing that person, and then you spit lightly. And other scholars like Shaykh Uthaymeen, he was of the opinion that you just don't do the spitting. You say, A'udhu Billahi Min Khinzab, and you stop there. Right? That's because you don't want to put off the other person next to you. And also because if, for example, you spit upon him, especially in the culture that we have today, it would be considered uh, you know, like very bad and, and, and someone would be very upset, especially if they're not aware of the hadith right? and they don't know why it is that you've chosen to spit in your salah. So it's something that to be mindful of, um, that, that it's something that we should, we should be careful of. And there's a similar hadith to this, uh, the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu an in Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam إِذَا نُودِيَ لِلصَّلَاةِ أَدْبَرَ الشَّيْطَانِ وَلَهُ دُرَاتٌ حَتَّى لَا يَسْمَعُ التَّأْذِينَ When the adhan is given for the salah, shaitan runs away. And he passes wind as he flees from the masjid so that he cannot hear the adhan. Right? So the adhan in itself is very powerful. Right? The adhan itself is also one of the ways, and obviously this isn't a lesson about shaitan and protection from shaitan, but one of the ways of seeking protection from shaitan is by the adhan, right? And that's why, you know, the hadith or the uh, narration of the newborn giving the adhan in the right ear and the iqamah in the left and so on, even though there's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars as to regards the authenticity of that practice, but scholars like Ibn Qayyim and others, they said that at the very least the adhan is something that should be done. Right? They consider it to be a practice and it has an asl, it has a basis in the sunnah because we know that shaitan flees because of this hadith. So he runs away. So when the adhan finishes, aqbal, he returns. Until the iqama is given and then he flees again. So when the adhan is given, shaitan runs away, then he comes back. When the iqama is given, he runs away again. And then when the iqama finishes, he comes back again. And then he comes between a person and between his salah, and he says to them, remember this and remember that. Right? And so that's like something which the Prophet is telling us himself, that shaitan will come and he will remind you of things that you've forgotten. In the salah to distract you from your salah. Right? Urgent issues that you forgot, that email that you forgot to send off, or that meeting that you forgot, that phone call that you forgot to return, or something else that you need to do that just slipped your mind because you were busy or preoccupied. This is when shaitan comes until the Prophet said, until a person will stand in their prayer and not even know how much they prayed. Right? So you completely forget, you have no clue where you were and what you were doing. So that's the, first, the fourth time in which it is recommended to give the isti'adha or make the isti'adha and say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. Number five, and this is something which we covered before, at times of anger. And that's in the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, the hadith of Sulaiman ibn Sartah radiallahu anh, 
when the two men came and they began to swear at one another in front of the Prophet ﷺ close by to him. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Indeed, I know a word that if they were to say it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would remove the anger that they that he feels. And they said, and he said, Say, A'udhu billahi min shaytan rajim Right? And the man replied and said, I'm not crazy. So that's a hadith which we covered, but that's number five at times of anger. Number six, when a person sees a bad dream, a nightmare. So when you see a nightmare, the Prophet said in the hadith of Abu Qatada, radiyallahu in al-Bukhari and muslim a-ru'ya min Allah, good dreams are from Allah, but bad dreams or nightmares are from shaitan. فَإِذَا رَأَى أَحَدُكُمْ شَيْئًا يَقْرَهُ فَلْيَنْفُثْ عَنْ يَسَارِهِ ثَلَاثًا وَيَتَعَوَّدْ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شَرِّهَا فَإِنَّهَا لَنْ تَضُرَّهُ So if you see something in your dream that you dislike, it's a nightmare, it's a bad dream, it's something that you don't like, then you blow on facing left three times and you say, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Or you say, I seek refuge in Allah from the evil of this dream, for indeed it will not harm you. Right? The Prophet said, it won't harm you. If you seek Allah's protection, it won't harm you. So the dreams that Allah Azza wa gives to us, the good dreams come true because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the power of enacting them and making them come to reality. Whereas the bad dreams that come from shaitan, he has no power to make them real. Right? It's nothing that shaitan can do to harm you except to make you distance from Allah or make you afraid or make you doubtful and so on and so forth. So the Prophet said, just ignore it and seek Allah's protection from the harm of that dream or from the evil dream. Number seven, when you enter into the masjid. So when you come into the masjid, there's a number of different du'as that are rated in the sunnah. One of those du'as is from the hadith of Amr ibn al-As, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As, radiyallahu anhuma, that the Prophet used to say when he would enter into the masjid, أعوذ بالله العظيم وبوجهه الكريم وسلطانه القديم من الشيطان الرجيم. And this is collected in the Sunan of Abu Dawood, and it is authentic. Right? And just generally, just so that you guys know, when I mention a hadith and I say that it's collected by Ibn Majah or Abu Dawood or whatever, it is authentic. Right? Unless I say otherwise, just it's authentic. Right? Rather than me just saying authentic, authentic all the time, it is authentic. The scholars have authenticated, unless I state otherwise or that there is some difference of opinion over it. And this is a, a dua or one of the wordings of the isti'adha that we took before, right? So the, I think the first or the second lesson, when we were going through the different wordings of the isti'adha that are mentioned in the sunnah, this was one of them, right? That I seek refuge in Allah the Great, with his noble face and with his everlasting kingdom from shaitan the cursed. Right? And that's what he would say as he would enter into the masjid. So he would seek refuge in Allah from shaitan entering into the masjid. And also... Um, when he would leave the masjid. It's also reported that he would do that when he would leave the masjid, but a different dua. In the hadith of Abu Hurair, this time collected by Ibn Majah in his sunan, when he would leave the masjid, he would send salat and salam upon himself. So you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad and so on. And then you say, Allahumma asimni min ash-shaytan al-rajim. Oh Allah, protect me from shaytan the accursed. Right? And so he would make the dua or the isti'adha as he would enter into the masjid, and he would make the isti'adha as he would leave the masjid, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Number eight, when he would hear the braying of donkeys. So when a donkey brays, right, that's the sound that it makes, right? The, the braying of a donkey. In the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu also in al-Bukhari and muslim the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you hear... The uh, rooster, is it crowing? Right? What do roosters do? 
how you mentioned right they're not farmers uh, crowing I think it's called right anyway whatever the sound that they make right the crowing of a rooster then ask Allah for his bounty and his grace because it has seen an angel that's the hadith right seek Allah's bounty and grace because it has seen an angel but when you hear the brain of the donkey then seek Allah's refuge and protection from shaitan, for indeed it has seen a shaitan. Right? And that is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Number nine, when a person descends in a place, meaning that they spend the night in a place, right? a place that is not they're accustomed to. And obviously now it's a bit different because we're in hotels and we're in so on. But what it generally used to mean in those days when people used to travel in the desert and they would travel by land and they would spend nights upon that journey, in open places, right? So you go in a valley, or you're in a cave, or you're just stopping out in the middle of nowhere. So when you stop somewhere, it is the sunnah, as the Prophet said in this hadith um, of Khawla bint Hakim radiallahu anha, and it's a Sahih Muslim, whoever descends in a place, then let them say, min ma khalq. I seek refuge in the perfect and complete words of Allah from the evil that He created. And if a person does this, nothing will harm them until they leave that place and they continue. Right? So you say, I seek refuge in Allah or in the perfect and complete words of Allah from the evil that He created. Number 10, going to the bathroom. So the famous dua that we all know, the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, that is collected in Al Bukhari. Uh, that when he, the Prophet sallam, used to enter into the bathroom, he would say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika minal khubthi wal khaba'ith. Right? I seek refuge in Allah from al khubth and al khaba'ith. And the scholars have different uh, opinions as to exactly what those two words mean, but many of them said that it was referring to the male and the female shayateen. Right? The male and the female shayateen. So you seek refuge in Allah azza wa from both of them. So that is also a form of isti'adah. Number 11, when you're in pain. When you feel or experience some pain. In the hadith of Uthman ibn Abil As, عن, that he felt pain, so he came to the Prophet. وسلم, this hadith is in Sahih Muslim. So the Prophet وسلم, said, Place your hand upon the pain that you feel or experience on your body, in your body. Right? Place your hand on the part of your body that you feel pain from and say, Bismillah thalatha. Three times say, Bismillah. And then seven times say, أعوذ بالله وقدرته من شر ما أجد وأحاذ I seek refuge in Allah and in His power from the evil of that which I feel and experience. Right? Or fear. Right? What I feel and what I fear. And this is collected in Sahih Muslim. So, during pain, like one of the ruqyas that you can do, one of the du'as that you can make upon yourself, asking Allah for His help is to say Bismillah thalathan three times, and then seven times to make that du'a. أعوذ بالله وقدرته من شر ما أجد وأحاذ Number 12, morning and evening adhkar. So as part of the morning and evening adhkar, the remembrances that the Prophet would say first thing in the morning and in the evening, from them is that he would seek refuge in Allah from shaitan. In the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu that Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu an, this hadith is in At-Tirmidhi and Abu Dawood and the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, that Abu Bakr radiallahu an, Abu Huraira is narrating, that Abu Bakr radiallahu an said, O Messenger of Allah, 
teach me words that I can say in the morning and the evening. So the Prophet ﷺ replied and he said, Allahumma fatir as-samawati wal-ard, alim al-ghaybi wal-shahada, rabba kulli shayin wa malika, ashadu an la ilaha illa ant, a'udhu bika min shabri nafsi, wa shabri shaytani wa shirkiha. He said, say, O oh Allah, the originator of the heavens and the earth, and the one who knows the hidden and the unseen, and the Lord of everything and its king, I bear witness, testify that none has the right to be worshipped except you. I seek refuge in you from the evil of myself and from the evil of shaitan and all his accomplices. And then the Prophet said to Abu Bakr radiallahu say this first thing in the morning, say this in the evening, and say this when you go to bed. Right? Say this in the morning, say this in the evening, and say this before you go to sleep. Right? This is an amazing dua. And you seek refuge in Allah, not only from shaitan, but from the evil of our own selves, our desires, and the whisperings that we have within us. Number 13, when, you, uh, when you're startled in your sleep, when you wake up suddenly, right? because maybe you experienced a dream, or maybe you heard something, and you wake up suddenly, the Prophet وسلم, in the hadith of Amr ibn Shu'ib and Abihi and Jaddih, the Prophet said, and this hadith is in Abu Dawood, also in Tirmidhi, إِذَا فَزِعَهْتُكُمْ مِنَ النَّوْمِ فَلْيَقُلْ أَعُوذُ بِكَلِمَاتِ اللَّهِ التَّامَةِ مِنْ غَضَبِهِ وَشَرِّ عِبَادِهِ مِنْ غَضَبِهِ وَشَرِّ عِبَادِهِ وَمِنْ هَمَزَاتِ الشَّيَاطِينُ وَيَحْضَرُونَ If one of you is startled awake in their sleep, then let them say, I seek refuge in Allah with His perfect words from His anger and from the evil of His servants, His slaves, and from the whisperings of the devils and that they should be present with me. Right? And these are amazing, they're like they're so short and so concise, but look at how amazing the meanings are, how powerful they are. You're basically seeking refuge in Allah from every evil, right? Everything that Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, has created that has any evil in it, you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection from it. Number 14, it is also from the sunnah to make isti'adha over your children. Right, as the Prophet would do with his two grandsons, Al-Hassan and Al-Hussein, and this is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, collected by Abu Dawood and Al-Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah and the Muslim Imam Muhammad, that he would say to Hassan and Al-Hussein, his two grandsons, and they were fairly young uh, during the life of the Prophet He would say to them that your father, meaning Ibrahim السلام, right, who was obviously one of the paternal grandparents of the Prophet السلام, one of his ancestors, your father used to make this isti'adha, he would seek protection using these words for his sons Ismail and Ishaq and he would say, I seek refuge in Allah's complete and perfect words from every shaitan and from every vermin and from every evil eye. And then he would blow over them, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And these are like, so we have 14 here, um, and there's others as well, but those are like probably the most common places in which you can make this ti'adha and seek Allah's protection from shaitan. Um, an interesting point before we uh, to just like finish this topic off and whatever um, is what is mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al-Imran and we're going to inshallah come to that chapter and we'll speak about it in more detail but it's something which I just wanted to bring to your attention when um, in the story of the family of Imran right? so Allah Al-Imran is a surah named after the family of Imran and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed this family 
Allah says, Inna Allah astafa Adama wa Nuhan wa ala Ibrahima wa ala Imrana alal alameen. Allah chose Adam and Nuh and the family of Ibrahim and the family of Imran and he gave them virtue over all of the rest of his creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honored these people. Adam is well known. Nuh is well known. Ibrahim and his children, his family, we know that every prophet after him came from his children. They're well known. But then you have the family of Imran. And what's interesting is Imran is the father of Anyone know? Maryam, Maryam who is the mother of Isa. So his grandson is a prophet of Allah. But the mother, Maryam, isn't a prophet. And Imran himself, who's the father of Maryam, isn't a prophet. So in that collection, like in that grouping that Allah <coughs> mentions by name, Ibrahim, Nuh, Adam, all prophets, messengers of Allah, very well known. But Imran is the exception to that rule. And Imran, his wife, when she realized that she was pregnant and she, uh, she had made an oath to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whatever child she had, because in those days they didn't know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl, she made an oath to Allah that whatever child she had, thinking that it would be a boy, that she will place or she would uh, give him to the path of Allah. She would have this son of hers and she would employ him to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She would make him work for the pleasure of Allah Azza wa Jal. So as if she's saying that, Oh Allah, this son of mine will lead a life that is dedicated for you. Right? And then when she gives birth, what does she realize? That it's actually a girl. Right? It's not a boy, as she had hoped and dreamed and planned. But does she like to say, Okay, it's a girl, so therefore like none of that matters, or you know, there's nothing that we can do? Or does she adapt her vision and her plan and what she had intended for her child and make it fit with the daughter that she now has. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in, in Surah Al-Imran, and He says, وَإِنِّي سَمَّيْتُهَا مَرْيَمْ She said, and I have called her, named her Maryam. وَإِنِّي أُعِيذُهَا بِكَ وَذُرِّيَّتَهَا مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ And she said, oh Allah, and I seek refuge in you for, for her and for all of her children after her from shaitan. Right? And that's an amazing dua to make. How many of us, when we're making dua for our children, have we ever sought Allah's protection? Not only for them, but for every child that they will have, meaning from our descendants, right? From every child, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, for generations to come that Allah protects them from shaitan. Right? And this is her vision that she had. Right? That's why Allah praises his family. They weren't prophets of Allah. They weren't people who received revelation from Allah. No angel came and visited them. But they had this yearning, right? this longing that their family, their children, would be a family that would be close to Allah and serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the very onset, like she's a baby, she's a newborn. Nothing's happened. No one knows what's going to happen in the future. She's a newborn baby. And at the time of naming, which is one of the first things that you do with a child, right? You think, in fact, before they're human born, you have a list of names and you're thinking of names and you're asking this person and that person for names. I name her Maryam and I seek refuge in you, O Allah, for her, for all of her children to come from shaitan. And that shows you the power of the isti'adha and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses it in different ways throughout the Quran, right? And that's something that it's important that we do. And now that we come to the end of the isti'adha, just to summarize the two or three points. Number one, the power of the isti'adha and how uh, underused it is by us in our lives. Right? Something that we need to do. 
Number two, that we need to teach this to our children. It is one of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal in seeking Allah, which is protection from our greatest enemy and our most dangerous enemy, an enemy that is hidden from plain sight that we don't know, that we often forget about, that we're very heedless of. It is one of the greatest tools. Once we understand this ti'adha and its power, how to use it. And then number three, how this ti'adha should be employed throughout the day right, and throughout our lives. It's not just when you're reading the Qur'an or when you're in salah and you're about to read Fatiha and you say, A'udhu Billahi Shaitan Ar-Rajim, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Throughout the whole day, from the moment that you wake up, from the adhkar that you make, until the very last moment before you go to sleep. And then whenever you see something that you want Allah to protect, right? So for example, your children, right? For example, you know, wealth that Allah has given to you. For example, you know, like anything that you covet, that you think that is something that people may be jealous of, envious of, may give it the evil eye, may do some harm to it, you ask Allah Azza wa Jal to protect it, right? And not only that, but to protect us from the evil of ourselves as well. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps us to overcome the evil that sometimes is within us. Okay, any questions before we move on? Anyone? Yeah. Can I just ask, you know, when we're seeking refuge for your children, uh, did you do it on a daily basis or how often? Yeah, so the question is, when you're seeking refuge uh, for your children, you're seeking protection for your children, is that a daily thing? Yes, the Prophet used to do it daily, right? So it's something that you do, um, you know, maybe once a day or something. But it's something which, not only do you do when they're young, but it's something that you teach them to do as they grow up, right? So it's part of the tarbiyah, the education that you're giving them. As they grow up, you know, just as we teach them to say Bismillah before they eat, right? Alhamdulillah, after they eat, we're teaching them the dua of going into the bathroom. Teach them the adhkar as what they need to make, right? And once you embed within your child that when they see some harm or they're afraid of something or they have some potential danger that they foresee, right? Which at their age may be, you know, something relatively insignificant to us, but to them it's something which they consider to be serious. Train them instead of like, you know, crying or whatever you train them to, say the isti'adha, right? Right? Especially bad dreams and all of this stuff that, that often, like all of us go through, but with age you kind of like grow out of. But for young children, it's something which is major. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, teach them to ask Allah Azza wa for His protection. Do you have any online questions? Or is that being remotely controlled? Let me, let me go here and then I'll come to you. When you say, when you read the Quran, and you say, I'll be learning the truth on the and read. And then you tell somebody, you stop and tell somebody else to do dhikr or some good deeds. Do you have to say, I'll be learning the truth on the again to start? So if you say this ti'adha and then you stop, you pause because you're telling someone else to do something, and then you want to read the Quran again, do you make this ti'adha again? So the general um, ruling that the Qur'an have, right, the, you know, the reciters of the Quran, the imams of Quran, they say that if you break up your recitation of the Qur'an with something that's not related to the Qur'an, right, and it's not like other remembrance of Allah, then you come back to the Qur'an, then you make the isti'adha again. So the example, for example, that they would give is if you're reading the Qur'an and you come across a verse of prostration, right, sajda tilawa, prostration of recitation, and you make the sajda, and then you get up, you don't need to make the isti'adha again. Because that's from the dhikr of Allah, something that you do as part of the Qur'an, right? And likewise, what we mentioned last week of the salah, because the whole salah is the dhikr of Allah, 
and it's dua and so on, you don't need to make this ti'adha in every single rak'ah when you stand up. However, if you're going to speak to someone right, and say to them, you know, so-and-so, go and pray, so-and-so, go, and you're doing something else, it's now like conversation and you're talking to someone, then I think it is better to make this ti'adha again. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Uh, okay, so question. When a person stops in an open valley, descends, would it be correct to also recite the adhan, even if it is not a time of salah, also when staying in a hotel? I think whenever you stop in a place uh, and you're going to stay in a place, then I would recommend making the dua, right? Because even if it's not the way that people used to stop in the olden days or in the time of the Prophet it takes the same meaning, right? So you still make the dua. Like, and every dua uh, in that regard. So for example, the Prophet used to have a dua that he would make when he would enter a city or a town or a dwelling. He would have a dua, right? Allahumma rabba samawati sab'i wa ma adlan wa nabbar aradin wa ma aqlan wa rabba shayateen wa ma dharin. As'aluka khayra hadhihi al-qarya wa khayra ma fiha wa udhubika min shari hadhihi al-qarya wa shari ma fiha wa shari ahliha. He would have a dua that he would make when he would enter into a town or a new place or a new dwelling, right? A new, you know, like dwelling where a group of people live, like a village or wherever it may be. So all of these duas is something that we should make. In terms of the adhan, I don't know of any sunnah that you stop in a place and you just make the adhan. The adhan is part of the salah, right? It's done to show that the time of salah has entered. And so therefore it's not something which is done outside of that unless there is a, a proof, for example, like, you know, at the time of birth, and again, even that is one which the scholars heavily differ over, um, you know, whether it's authentic or not. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Is that right? Just one? So if you, so in terms of making the adhan, if you're on your own and you're in an open field and you, and you want to make adhan because it's time for salah, then yeah. Yeah, but I think just to generally make adhan for no particular reason, I don't know Allah. Unless someone knows something and they can like benefit, so I don't know Allah. Any questions from the sisters? Uh, okay, Kaka, uh, you had something? Yes. Yeah. The name of the Shaykh Abdullah is Khinzab or Khinzab? Khinzab. Yeah. Sorry, was another question? Can you make dua for protection against your own qareen? Yeah, so the shaitan that we have within ourselves that whispers to us, you know, as the Prophet said, in the shaitan yajri fi ibn Adam majra al-dam, kuma qala alayhi salatu salam, shaitan is within the body, within the human, the way that blood flows in the body. Right? Shaitan is with you just as the way your own blood flows within you. Right, and the hadith, and I think we mentioned this before, so the companion said, O Messenger of Allah, even in you, and the Prophet said, Yes, even in me. And that's a different hadith, it's two different hadiths. But he was asked, The Qareen, do you have one? And he said, Yes, I have one as well, except that Allah Azza wa helped me to overpower it. And now he only tells me to do good. Right? And that's from the, the, the special um, attributes that Allah Azza wa gave to the Prophet. So yes, so this hadith, the hadith that we mentioned where in the morning and the evening from the adhkar, right, you're seeking Allah's protection from the evil of yourself, right? nafsi, from the evil of myself, and that includes the evil of the qareen that's with you, right? The shaitan that's with you, because that's where the evil of your soul comes from, right? It's from the whisperings of that shaitan, and when it orders you to do evil and to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah knows best. How much should one turn the head left since I have been told that turning the head to the side ends the salah? 
Um, yeah, so some of the scholars said you turn it left, right? And you turn it left, and this is part of the salah, so it doesn't end the salah. Generally, if you turn to turn like either side or you're, you're doing something that's outside of the salah, the scholars differ how much you can do before it breaks the prayer. But turning left, because it's mentioned in the hadith, it's something which you can do. And some of the scholars said you don't turn fully left like you would do in the salah, but you turn slightly to the left, right? So you're, it's as if you're, you're facing left, but you're not going to look at the person next to you. You're just moving your head slightly left, right? So it's like you're looking at a kind of an angle. So Allah, Allah knows best, but I think both of them have been mentioned by scholars as far as I remember. And so if you were to do either one of them, I think it would be okay and Allah knows best. Okay, anyone else before we carry on? Um, if you're offering salah on your own, um, on the previous um, do you wait till you finish the surah before making it the or can you um, do it partway and then resume? So the question is, if you're praying by yourself and shaitan comes to you and you want to seek refuge in Allah from shaitan, do you wait till the end of the surah or do you do it there and then? You do it there and then. So as soon as you're distracted, that's when you do it. And that's what the hadith says. As soon as you feel that shaitan has come and is distracting you, then seek refuge in Allah from him and spit lightly to your left three times. Blow to the left, it says. Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, just following up my question um, about the linear interference, like, can you say that you at any point in the uh, any time that you're distracted or just? Yeah, so the, general, the, the wording of the hadith is general in terms of when do you seek refuge in Allah from shaitan in the salah is general. So it doesn't, it doesn't like specify to the standing only or to the recitation only or you know, to like one position as opposed to another. So whenever in salah, so if that happens to be in the ruku' or it happens to be when you're sitting or it happens to be in the shahud and you feel that shaitan has come to you, then you, you can do that. You seek refuge in Allah from shaitan. Sorry? Would there be anything wrong in uh, making a habit of making istiazah before every salah? Is there anything wrong of making a habit of making the istiazah before the salah, every salah? Saying the istiazah before every salah? Yeah, the problem with that is, is because once you do something regularly and religiously in that respect, then it becomes an act of worship that requires an evidence. Right? So if there was good in that, then the Prophet would have told us to do that instead. Right? So make the istiazah before you start the salah, and then you don't need to worry about it. And in some ways, you are making the istiadah at the very beginning of the salah anyway. So as soon as you start the salah, right, one of the first things that you do is actually make istiadah. But even though you make the istiadah, shaitan can come back, right? Sometimes istiadah that we make, you know, like, like we said, our mind isn't attentive, or maybe it's not done with the required sincerity, or maybe it's just habitual, you just say something, but you don't, you're not attentive, you don't know what you're saying. And so therefore, its impact is lessened, right? Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, used to say about the Qur'an, and the adhkar, you know, like we have so many hadith that speak about the virtues of dhikr and so on and so forth. He would say it's like the doctor and medicine, right? Allah has given us the medicine, but sometimes the dose that we use or the way that we do it isn't correct, right? And you need both of them to be correct. You need the medicine and the dosage to be correct in order for it to have its impact. So for example, sometimes we say Alhamdulillah, or we say A'udhu Billah, or we say Bismillah, but because you know, it doesn't come from the heart, it's not something we're attentive in, its impact is lessened, right? Likewise, prayer. Prayer, you know, Allah Azza wa says, it stops you from sinning. 
But lots of people pray and they still sin and it doesn't make a difference. But that's because their salah isn't attentive. It's not with sincerity. They're not doing it properly. They're not concentrating. So we diminish its impact and its benefit. Right? Um, and so therefore, the hadith has given us, like, you know, you say this ta'ad at the beginning of the salah, meaning, you know, as you say, Allahu Akbar, one of the first things you say is this ta'ad. And then during the salah, if you need to as well, you can do it as well. And Allah knows best. Okay, I think let's, we're not going to get into the bismillah at this rate. So um, let's move on, inshallah ta'ala, to the basmala. The basmala is the name that is given to the statement, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And the ulama of Islam and the scholars of Islam, they have this thing where they like to summarize, you know, because saying Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim every single time, A'udhu Billahi Minash-Shaitan rajim every single time, can be quite long and cumbersome. So instead they gave it a title, right? They gave it like a one-word name or title which refers to the dhikr, right? So isti'adha is, a'udhu billahi min shaytan al-rajim. Basmala is, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, right? Likewise, they have hamdala. What's hamdala? Alhamdulillah, right? And likewise, they have, for example, the hawqala. What's hawqala? La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah, right? And so on and so forth, right? So you have, and then you have tasbih, which is subhanallah, and takbir, which is Allahu Akbar, right? And tahleel, which is, La ilaha illallah, right? And so this is what the scholars did to make it easy to refer to, easy to speak about, and so on. So when it comes to the statement Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in Arabic it is often referred to as the Basmala. And even in the books of Tafsir, Ibn Kathir and others, when they speak about it, they will say Tafsir al-Basmala, right? The tafsir of the Basmala. So the Basmala is the wording Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Right? Basmala is Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And unlike the isti'adha, it doesn't actually have many variations of that wording. So as we, you know, we mentioned, at the, I think, the very first lesson, isti'adha with all of its different wordings, and some scholars said this, and some scholars said that, and there's this hadith, and there's this, that hadith. When it comes to the basmala, actually some of the scholars said this ijma' that it's only bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Right? It's not known from the Prophet ﷺ that he had different variations of the basmala. Yes, you can shorten it and say bismillah. Right? But you won't, for example, uh, come across like, you know, Bismil Rahim, right? Or Bismil Hakim, or Bismil Razak, or those other variations, even though they're using the names of Allah or something else, it's very uh, rare. So Bismillah, or Bismik Allahumma, you know, you'll probably find, or Allahumma Bismika, right? Or Allah in your name. Those slight variations, but they all revolve around basically the same thing, which is Bismillah Rahman Rahim. And the Basmala, is a verse of the Qur'an, unlike the isti'adha. It is a verse or part of a verse of the Qur'an that the scholars have all agreed upon. And that is the verse in Surah An-Naml in which Allah says, إِنَّهُ مِنْ سُلَيْمَانَ وَإِنَّهُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ In the story of Sulaiman السلام, the Prophet of Allah and the Queen of Sheba, Bilqis, when he wrote a letter to her after he found from the Hudhud bird that she and her people were worshipping the sun besides Allah, he wrote a letter to her, right? Inviting her to Allah, inviting her to Islam. And the letter, when she reads it, she says, as Allah mentions in the Quran, Innahu min Sulaiman. This letter comes from Sulaiman, wa innahu bismillahir rahmanir rahim, and it begins with bismillahir rahmanir rahim, which shows us a couple of things. Number one is that therefore the basmala is a verse of the Quran, right? And that's 
different to the, another debate or another issue which we're going to come on inshallah probably next week now and that is is the basmala a verse of the quran at the beginning of every surah because this basmala bismillah rahman rahim isn't at the beginning of the surah it's part of a story it's part of the verse of the quran it's in the middle of surah to naman right is the basmala also at the beginning of every surah a verse of the Quran? That's an issue that the scholars differed over. For example, is it part of Surah Fatiha, not part of Surah Fatiha? One of that, inshallah, will come on to later on. But this particular verse, the scholars have agreed. It's part of the Quran in that format. Right? That's the first thing. What else does it show? The second thing is that the basmala was known to people before the Prophet ﷺ, to the past nations. Because we're referring now to who? To the Prophet Sulaiman And the fact that he used the basmala shows that it's not something which was restricted to our ummah. It's not something restricted to the Prophet and from his teachings. But the Prophets before him would also make the basmala. Right? They would also say Bismillah. So the basmala is a part of the Quran in that sense. And if you, when you mirror or you marry the two together, you have the two of them. The isti'adha and the basmala, they are extremely powerful. Because the isti'adha, you're seeking Allah's protection. It's as if you're warding off danger. You're asking Allah Azza wa to protect you from shaitan, protect you from his armies, his associates, you know, his helpers, whether they be human, whether they be jinn. You're asking Allah Azza wa to protect you from all of that. And once you ask for that protection, and inshallah you receive that protection, then you say, Bismillah, right? With the name of Allah, or in the name of Allah. And the ba. The letter ba, which is, you know, at the beginning, bismillah, right, which in English is often translated as in the name, in or with the name of Allah. This in or with the ba, what it means is I begin with, right, or I begin in, right. And that wording or the word I begin is mahdhuf. It's not mentioned in the Arabic, but it's understood in the meaning. That what you're saying when you say bismillah is that I begin with the name of Allah. Begin what? Whatever it is that you're going to begin. I begin making wudu. Or I'm going to begin reciting the Qur'an. This surah of the Qur'an. Or I'm going to begin this action or that action. You say, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Right? With the name, I begin with. And what you're asking for is Allah's barakah, His blessings. And you're asking for Allah's grace and His bounties and His acceptance. And that's why you begin with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ism. Right? In the name of Allah. The name or the word ism in the Arabic language has two meanings. Number one is that it is a sign or a signal for that which you're talking about. So ism means a sign for that which you're talking about. So when I say, for example, Ahsan, that's a signal towards me, right? You say Ahmed, it's a signal towards someone called Ahmed, right? Or you say, for example, this is an iPad, you're pointing towards something, right? You're signaling what it is that you're speaking about. The second meaning in the Arabic language of the word ism is something which is honored, right? Something which is raised, right? From samu. It is something which is honored, something which is raised. So when you say in the name of Allah, it's as if you're saying you're asking Allah with His Highness and with His might and with His glory and with His, ma- with his majesty to bless you in this action that you're going to perform, right? Bismillah. And then you say Allah. And Allah, as we know, we, uh, I think we spoke about it in quite some detail when we were uh, going through the isti'adha, right? It is from the greatest, if not the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we'll speak about it in more detail when we come to Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? In the verse, Qul Allahu Ahad, right? Say, He is 
Allah the one. Right? And the scholars said that Allah Azza wa Jal, or the name Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always uses it as the foundation. Right? The name Allah is the foundation of all of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why you say, for example, uh, you know, you'll say, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَةِ And to Allah belong the most beautiful names. Right? And you don't say to Ar-Rahman belongs the most beautiful names. Right? Or to Al-Hakim belongs the most beautiful names. Why? Because the scholars said all of those other names come from Allah. Right? All of them are derived from the name Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why even Allah azza wa jal in the Quran, when he refers to himself, often he refers to himself with the name Allah. Right? The Prophet said, Inna lillahi tis'an wa tis'ina isma. Right? To Allah belong 99 beautiful names. He didn't say to Ar-Rahman belong 99 beautiful names. To Al-Hakim belongs 99 beautiful names. Right? So all of those are derived from Allah. And the end of Surah Al-Hashr, right, those famous verses, Allah right? Allah mentions so many of his names and attributes in that final passage of Surah Al-Hashr, but he always begins with, he is Allah. Right? That's the basis, right? That's the foundation. And we know Allah through the name Allah, right? And that's why when the scholars, and inshallah, when we come to Surah Al-Ikhlas and we speak about why the scholars or the different opinions that the scholars differed over with regards to uh, the greatest name of Allah, what is the greatest of Allah's names, many of the scholars chose the name Allah. Right? Simple as that, right? It is the name Allah because it is the one that Allah Azza wa refers to. Right? Even in dhikr, what do we say? Bismillah, right? A'udhu billah, right? Alhamdulillah, subhanallah, right? La ilaha illallah, right? Even though all of those other names are still names of Allah Azza wa Jal, they point to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but Allah Azza wa Jal in our adhkar and much of what we do, it comes to uh, Allah, right? And that's why even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often in the Quran, when he's mentioning a number of names, the name Allah often comes first. Right? So like Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, right? In the name of Allah, and then you mention other names, right? And then you mention other attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told us in the hadith in al-Bukhari al-Muslim, inna lillahi tis'atan wa tis'ina isma, man ahsaha dakhad al-jannah. To Allah belong 99 names, whosoever encompasses them will enter into paradise. Meaning if you know them, you understand them, you memorize them, you act in accordance with them, you live in accordance with them, then you will enter into Jannah. Right? And that's you know that's the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often refers to himself in the Quran. He says that he is Allah. And he is Allah in the heavens and in the earth. Right? Right? Are there any gods besides? Allah. It is always the name Allah that is being used. And so that's why when we say Bismillah, we seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessing. Right? We're seeking Allah Azza wa Jal's blessing. And the Basman and the Isti'adha are closely linked in that regard, right? Whether it's in the Quran or in the Salah or even outside of them. So for example, we seek the um, or we say the Isti'adha to seek protection, but the Basmala can also be used to seek protection, right? In the name of Allah. So for example, um, the famous uh, basmala or the wording of the basmala, Bismillah, la shay'un fil ardi wa la In the name of Allah with whose name nothing can harm you in the heavens nor in the earth. 
Right? Because everything is under Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command. Right? Everything is in Allah's, under Allah's dominion in his kingdom. So you say, Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Right? So you say the isti'adah to seek protection from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the two of them are closely linked. So you also can use the best manner to seek Allah's help. Right? Seeking Allah's help that nothing can harm you because everything is under the control and protection or under the control and dominion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a story in the books of um, biography and history about the companion Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu, right? the great uh, military general amongst the companions, the great illustrious companion radiallahu anhu. And Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu, if he's famous for anything, what is he famous for? For being a general, right? For being a military leader, and you know, for much of the reign of uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he was the general of the armies and so on. And even during the reign of Umar radiallahu anhu, he was a you know like a well-known soldier and someone that just the name of Khalid and the enemies of the Muslims during his lifetime would put fear into the hearts of those people because he was such a competent um, general and someone that Allah azza wa jalla had blessed in that regard. There's a story of him that he came, and it's mentioned in the books of like history, Ibn Hajar and others mention this, Ibn Kathir and others, that Khalid ibn Walid on one of his expeditions, when he came to a group of people that he wanted to fight, that there was going to be battle between them and the Muslims, the representatives or the leaders of those people, they came and they sat with Khalid ibn Walid, and they spoke to him and he told them about Islam, and he invited them to Islam and so on. And they said to him, that we will accept your religion, or we will, uh, they didn't say accept your religion, but they said that we won't fight you. We will pay you the jizya, the tax, and we'll give up, we'll surrender in peace, on the condition that you drink poison. To show us that, you know, the, that your God is, has power, and your God has this, blah, 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 whatever it was. Drink the poison, and we'll surrender. So Khalid ibn Walid, the narration says, he drank it. And before he drank it, he said, Bismillahilladhi, la yadurru ma'asmihi shay'un fil ardi wa la fil sama' wa huwa sami'u alim. In the name of Allah, with whose name, nothing can harm in the heavens and the earth, and he is all hearing or knowing. And he drank the poison. And he lived. Radiallahu anhu. Some, I think some of the narrations said he vomited or became slightly ill or whatever, but he got better and he recovered and he was fine. And he drank like a full glass of poison or a vial or whatever it was that they gave him of poison, he drank it, radiallahu anhu, and he was cured. So it shows you the power of the basmala, right? It shows you, and this is what we were seeing just moments ago, the, the isti'adha, the saying alhamdulillah, subhanallah, la ilaha illallah, all of these different adhkar that we have in the sunnah, each one of them is so powerful. Each one of them by themselves is so powerful but they have to be said with that sincerity and with that belief and with that certainty and with that trust in Allah and with that hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that love for Allah azza wa jal. And when all of those intentions come together and then you say Bismillah or you say Alhamdulillah or you say Subhanallah, that's when it has an impact, right? So even after the salah, when we're making our adhkar, right? We're saying Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, you know, Allah Akbar, we're saying it like 33 times. And often we're going through it so fast that, you know, it's just like, it's like within 10 seconds we're done, right? It's like almost a race. And I remember when I used to, like, when I was in Saudi Arabia and we used to go and sit with our teachers and so on, just watching them after salah, the amount of time they would take, they would literally say, Subhanallah, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Each one they would, 
draw out and they would say it very calmly and very slowly. And it would take them minutes to complete those adhkar because they're not rushing, but they're understanding what it is that they're saying, right? When they're saying, subhanallah, or they're saying, alhamdulillah, or they're saying, bismillah. And that's why it's important, right? Because these adhkar, even though they are easy and roll off the tongue so easily and they're very short and very concise, they're very powerful when they're said in the correct way. But at the same time, you know, vice versa, if you don't do it with that same intention, with those same uh, actions of the heart, then it diminishes the effect of those adhkar as well. So that's a story that I wanted to share with you. And there are other stories like it as well that you'll find within the sunnah and so on and so forth um, that speak to you about the power of the basmala and the power of these adhkar of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you say bismillah and then you mention the two names that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in the basmala and that is ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Right? The name of Allah, ar-Rahman and ar-Rahim. And both of them come from the same root word. And that root word is the word rahmah, right? mercy. In the hadith of Abdurrahman ibn Awf, radiyallahu anhi, he said that I heard the Prophet say, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Allah said, ana ar-Rahman. Right? He said, addressing the womb. Now, in Arabic, um, when you want to denote mercy to something or something that should be merciful, you come, you, the, the root word often comes from the word rahmah. So the womb of the mother is called rahim, right? Because the mother is obviously very merciful to the child and she's carrying the child for nine months and, you know, through hardship and day and night and however it is, and, the, and she's sustaining the child by the permission of Allah and giving it food and water and so on and so forth. All of that stuff that's taking place in Arabic it is called rahim, right? And then joining the ties of kinship is called silatul rahim, right? From that same word, right? Joining the ties of kinship, silatul rahim, right? Um, and often like in the, uh, in the Arabic language, the, uh, your in-laws in Arabic, like in some cultures, are called rahim, right? Or rahim, right? Which is often the case. Sometimes this is the opposite. They're not really the mercy in the family. But anyway, in Arabic, that's how they do it, right? Rahim, right? It's like you're, these are the people that are merciful to you. Why? Because they took you into their family. Right? They gave you their daughter, their son, they, you know, they've like kind of embraced you and made you one of their own. Right? And that's something very merciful to do. And it used to be said about the Arabs. You know the Arabs in the time before the Prophet in Jahiliya, right? They used to, for the men, they used to have very harsh names, right? Like Sakhar, right? which means rock, right? And Harb, which means war, and Saif, which means sword, and all of that. And then with their like daughters and so on, they used to give them really nice, pleasant names and so on. And very like you know merciful names and generous names and kind names and names with nice meanings. So someone asked one of them, why do you do that? Why are the men, you know, why do they have all of these like really harsh, terrible sounding names, and the women have all of these really nice names? So they would say our names are to cast terror into the enemies of our hearts, to the hearts of our enemies. Right? Our names, when our enemies hear them, they should become afraid. For our daughters are for us, right? And when we speak to our daughters, our wives, our mothers, the last thing we want to do is feel afraid of them, right? And so that's what, that's what they used to do. So in this hadith of Abdurrahman ibn Awf, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Anna rahman wa hiya rahim right? Speaking about the womb and the ties of kinship, I am ar-Rahman, and this is the ties of kinship, or kinship, or the womb. And I have given it a name from my name. Shafaqtu laha isman min ismi. 
I have given it a name from my name. Man wasalaha wasaltuh wa man qata'aha qata'atuh. So whosoever joins the ties of kinship, I will join with him. And whosoever breaks the ties of kinship, I shall break off with him. And this hadith is in Abu Dawood and At-Tirmidhi and other than those two as well. So these names, or this word Ar-Rahim, right, joining the ties of kinship, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala show its importance to stress how, you know, how important it is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it a name that comes from one of his most beloved names and that is Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, both of them mean the same thing, right? And both of them are actually eloquent forms of Ar-Rahim. So the word, it means to, be, to have mercy, right? To be merciful. The actual word for showing mercy, just the, the basic doer of mercy or the one who shows mercy or has mercy is Ar-Rahim. As mentioned in the hadith, Ar-Rahimun yarhamuhum Ar-Rahman. Right? Those who show mercy, Ar-Rahman will show mercy to them. Ar-Rahim. Rahman and Ar-Rahim are eloquent versions of that same word. Right? Mubalagha. It goes to you know, excess in eloquence. And when it's done in the Arabic language, it's to denote a greater type of mercy. So Rahim is someone who has mercy. Rahim is someone who has even more mercy. Rahman is someone who has even more mercy. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is as if he's going up in levels of mercy. Right? So you have Rahim, you have Rahim, and you have Ar-Rahman or Rahman. And all of them, obviously, they all uh, point to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the word rahmah in relation to Allah azza wa jal is mentioned in many places in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, he says in Surah Al-An'am, فَإِن كَذَّبُوكَ فَقُلْ رَبُّكُمْ ذُو رَحْمَةٍ وَاسِعًا And if they reject you, then say to them, then indeed your Lord is full of mercy. And Allah azza wa jal says in Surah Al-A'raf, وَرَحْمَةِ وَسِعَتْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ And my mercy has encompassed Everything. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-An'am, ala rahma. He has written upon himself mercy. Right? And there are many verses uh, similar to that in the Quran in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about his mercy and describes himself as being merciful. Are we going to break for the Adhan? I think we'll just stop, we'll just pause for the Adhan.
Before we take some questions, I just want to um, finish this point of uh, with three hadith. And that is the point of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes himself with this uh, attribute of mercy, right? This description of mercy. In the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he said that I heard the Prophet say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and this hadith is in Al Bukhari and Muslim, Ja'al Allahu rahmata mi'ata juz. This is an amazing hadith. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala divided his mercy into 100 parts and he kept with himself 99, right? meaning for the day of judgment and for the believers and so on. And he descended one of those parts of mercy out of the 100 into or onto the earth. And it is because of that 100th of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the creation of Allah has mercy to one another, right? that we show mercy to each other. And by the way, that's spread across all of Allah's creations, right? Humans, jinn, animals, insects, birds, all of that. To the extent that the animal will keep its foot off its own child, or you know, like move its foot from its child out of fear that it may strike it or trample upon it, right? So even you know, the most ferocious predators and beasts, lions and tigers and everything else, when it comes to their own cubs and their own younglings, they show mercy, right? That same lion that would like, wouldn't think twice about eating us and, and tearing us apart and killing us, but when it comes to their own children, their own younglings, they show that mercy, right? And that is from the mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has divided across his creation. And that just shows you how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if that's just one hundredth of Allah's mercy, then what about those 99 parts that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept with him? May Allah azza wa jal grant us that mercy. Right? And that's why the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala isn't something to be trivialized. Right? When you ask Allah's mercy for someone, right? again, understanding what that means. Right? Allah's mercy is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives someone and then Allah Azza wa Jalla changes the evil deeds into good deeds, and that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala holds no uh, retribution over them. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala doesn't hold it over them that they did such and such a deed, right? So often when we forgive someone or someone apologizes and we say, okay, you know, no problem, whatever, but we'll hold it over them for the rest of their lives, right? We'll be like, no, but don't you remember? And like, yeah, but I already apologized. You already accepted my apology. Like, yeah, 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 I forgave you, but still, don't you remember? Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't do that. Right? When Allah forgives, His forgiveness is complete. His mercy, you know, when He wipes something clean, the state clean, and Allah Azza wa Jalla, when He speaks about uh, wiping away sins, right? literally, it is such a fitting word because literally it is wiped away. Right? It's as if it never existed. Right? And, and there's a couple of exceptions to that, uh, you know, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remind someone will say didn't you do such and such and such and such but Allah does that on the day of judgment to show his mercy is even greater right so that someone will appreciate the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another hadith also narrated by Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu and also in Al-Bukhari and Muslim Allah, uh, the Prophet said لما قضى الله الخلق كتب في كتاب فهو عنده فوق العرش إن رحمتي سبقت غضبي when Allah finished his creation, finished creating his creation, he wrote on a, on a, in a book or on a parchment, and it is above his throne, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that indeed my mercy has overcome my anger. 
right? That Allah Azza wa Jalla's mercy is greater and it has overcome his anger. And the third hadith in Sahih Muslim, <coughs> on the authority of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لَوْ يَعْلَمُ الْمُؤْمِنْ مَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنَ الْعُقُوبَةِ مَا طَمِعَ بِجَنَّتِهِ أَحَدٍ if the believer was to know about the, the wrath and the punishment of Allah, then they would never hope for his Jannah, right? So if you understood Allah's mercy, uh, Allah's punishment, his anger, his wrath, right, how severe it is, then you would never hope for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy or his Jannah. And if the disbeliever was to know and learn about Allah's mercy, he would never despair from reaching Paradise, right? And so Allah Azza wa Jalla, and that's why you have the balance between the two of hope and fear and between reward and punishment. Okay, so inshallah, I think we'll stop there and next week, inshallah, we'll speak in more detail about Rahman and Rahim and how those two names like relate to one another and what they specifically mean when they're mentioned alongside one another. Okay, any questions? Yeah, so, okay, so, <laughs> okay, so, so we wouldn't say, the question is, we wouldn't say Bismillah and, and like drink alcohol or do something like that. Of course not, right? Because the haram is the haram, right? And what he did, I mean, what he did, you know, he did like as ijtihad, right? It's something which he did because he saw a greater good, right? He saw like that there wouldn't be fighting, Muslims, Muslim blood would be you know, kept safe, you know, people wouldn't die, you know, you wouldn't be killing people and so on. And so he made an ijtihad. The general ruling is that you don't put yourself in that position. Not only because, you know, it's not something that you should do anyway, but how many of us like have that same like level of iman or have that same yaqeen in Allah or have that kind of like iman of Qadid ibn Walid that we would think that we would make those du'as and nothing would touch us and nothing would harm us, right? So that's an exception and these things are like very few and far between, right? Don't mention, you hear it once or twice and so on, but it's not something which is common even amongst the companions, right? It's something generally which they would avoid and Allah knows best. Uh, sorry. You know, people say so, uh, when it's mentioned in the Sunnah to say, to start with the Basmala, to say Bismillah, if you say Bismillah, it's okay, and if you complete it and say Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim, it's okay. Yeah, both are okay. Yeah, yeah so often like Tasmiya is also used to, um, the word Tasmiya is used to show that you should begin with Allah's name. Right? So you say Bismillah, right? So when you say Sammillah, right? Mention Allah's name. That's what it means. It means that you start by saying Bismillah. You know, when you're eating, because of the narrative where the Prophet would say Bismillah, um, how do we understand the fact that you can now say Bismillah? Or so where it's specifically mentioned that the Prophet would say only Bismillah. So for example, before he would sleep, he would say, Allahumma bismika amutu wahya, right? Wherever there's a specific narration and he mentions a certain wording, in my humble opinion, it's always better to stick with the wording of the hadith, right? Because the Prophet only gave us a wording because it is better for us, right? So generally in any adhkar, when you have a wording that is specified in the sunnah, whether that be in the salah or outside of the salah, then it's better to stick with it. But if generally someone was to say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, right? Before they're about to do something, 
then inshallah I think it's I think it's okay. Right. No comment. Yeah. So when you're making istiada for your children, um, do you change the wording? Yes, if you if you know Arabic, so is for a singular, kuma is for a dual, kum is for a plural, right? So depending on how many children you have that you're you know that you're making the dua over, you would change it accordingly. But if you don't, inshallah, like using any wording, and Allah Azza wa knows your intention, inshallah, it's, it's enough. Any questions online? Okay, so before I forget, just a couple of things because we're coming up to Salat al-Isha. Number one, next week we're starting at 7.15. Again, I know that Maghrib is coming earlier, but because it's becoming too early now and it's difficult for people to make it online as well, we're going to start at 7.15. That doesn't mean that you don't have to come to the Masjid. Come to the Masjid and pray Maghrib anyway, but then it's just going to be a longer gap before we start. And that's only going to be for the next couple of weeks because inshallah, once the clocks change, then it will be after Isha anyway. Uh, inshallah, the class will be after Isha. Number two, we're still looking for volunteers. So if you guys still want to help out or some of you want to be part of the team that helps to set up and inshallah does all of the logistical work and so on, then inshallah, please uh, do so. And was that it? I think that was it. Okay. Jazakumullah khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa sallam.